I want you all to know, we rehearse these things to where it's just perfectly fine-tuned and getting ready for a Sunday morning. And my wife described it to me as a God nod. You just quoted mentioned John 8, and that's actually the verse we're going to stand. We're going to read some verses this morning to start. So if you would, just stand, join with me in reading John 8, 1 through 11, and we'll get started there. But it's nice to have a God nod spent. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we just thank you for the presence of your spirit. We thank you for these words, this story, and the opportunity to be together seeking guidance from you, seeking encouragement, and just thankful for the acceptance you offer to each one of us. Bless this time together, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start out. Anybody like the TV contest shows, you know, where they compete and do things that they're really good at? Forged in Fire. Anybody seen it? Yes, I hear it. So Forged in Fire is like a lot of the other shows. You've got these people who specialize in a certain skill set. And this group, they're called bladesmiths. They build swords and knives and axes. They take steel and they heat it up until it's like yellow and they pound on it and pound on it and pound on it to make the shape. And then after all this heat treating and pounding, they get to a shape they like. They plunge it into this mineral oil and water and flames and steam and sparks shoot up. Now I want to see a cupcake do that. Just once, right? It's just amazing to see the work they put into it. But they get this basic shape, and once they're done with that, then they start grinding on it. They start polishing it. They start working to create the blade. And they want to make it razor sharp. Why? Because that makes it its most useful. And I'm blessed to be part of a men's group that Reynold Yorty started. And we meet every other Saturday. Any men that are interested will be next Saturday at the Sonic, just down the street. And in our time there, we spend time talking about family. We talk about work. We share stories from the Bible, and we share what's going on in our lives. We talk about politics. And, and of course, every man there talks about their wife and their children being the absolute best wife and children that anybody could hope for. 
Amen, right? But we speak to this thing called accountability and seeking guidance from God in our lives. And we've looked in the Bible at stories about fathers and leaders and men, but it applies to each and every one of us. And the verse we look at is Proverbs 27, 17. And I, by the way, as I was finishing up my preparation yesterday, I watched six episodes of Forged in Fire right in a row <laughs> in the background. But Proverbs 27, 17 should be on your screen. Iron sharpens iron, and one man or woman sharpens another. Iron sharpening iron. And if you think about the process, they go from this molten hot steel that, that looks like you could just grab it with your hand and mold it like putty. I wouldn't recommend that. But you, you, know, you could shape it and you could create this thing. But then you get to this sharpening process. And in the bladesmiths, they talk about the importance of the sharpening. Because if the tool, if the instrument isn't at its utmost sharpness, it's not usable. It's, it can catch, it can bind, it can actually break the blade. And if the blade breaks, blade breaks, I said it right, it could hurt the user, right? It could hurt people around it. And that's actually what's interesting to watch in the show. These bladesmiths are there and they start doing these testings to see whether it's strong, whether it's durable, whether it can cut. And you see these guys, big, burly guys in like 120 degree temperatures, and they're standing here watching this scared to death, their knife or sword or whatever instrument is gonna fail if they didn't make it right, if they didn't form it the right way. And isn't it interesting to think about, that's how we are, right? If we're not doing what we're designed to do, if we're not at our best performance, we can hurt the people around us. We can hurt ourselves. So it's important as we look at Proverbs and we think about sharpening each other and making ourselves out of the absolute best that we can be, that we look to each other to do that. But what's interesting is that it's really easy for me to look at somebody else and point out their flaws and their mistakes. Do you all ever fall into that? Come on, come on with me. Don't leave me alone. We want them to be their best, right? It's not judgment. We just want them to be their absolute best. It's not judgment, right? <laughs> All right. But what happens is, is that accountability is one of those things that says, we're willing to accept responsibility for my actions. I'm willing to accept through an accountability what I do. You're willing to accept what you do. And when a person accepts responsibility, it's called taking ownership, right? Constructive change and learning in business takes place when we take ownership, when we all understand what we're trying to accomplish. We get better. And when people take accountability, they can learn. They can seek ways to get better. But in society, does anybody, if, if I ask this group, how many of you want to be accountable for what happens this coming week? In anything, do you want to be accountable? We tend to not want to do that, right? We want to run and hide. And that's, again, I, I do stuff other than watching TV and videos. But I, I think about the videos of the dogs have you seen those where somebody walks in a room and the pans around the room and you see pieces of a sofa 
or a pillow or the garbage. And they come around and they say, did you do this? And you see the dog drop its head down. And here's a simple animal that its own basic understanding knows what guilt and shame and accountability feels like. I also like the video where they look at the one dog and the one dog's, they're like, what me? Is that one. There's actually one where the dog puts its paw on the other dog. I love that. But that's what we want to do. When somebody talks about accountability, we want to look and get away. We want to run away from that. And the problem is there's this exchange. There's been an action resulting in an outcome and someone has to face the consequences. But I use terms just then like guilt and shame, accusations and blame. And I don't think that's the way Jesus wanted our lives to be, is it? It's not what he had planned for us. And that's why it gets a little confusing when we start talking about biblical accountability and what we're supposed to do in that role. It begins, as I said, with taking responsibility for one's own actions and making a conscious choice of allowing God and others to help in accomplishing what is right. But I want to spend some time in Scripture. By the way, if you're not a full-time pastor, you put a lot of Scriptures in your lesson just to fill up time. And it's not really that. It's really to make yourself more comfortable that you're not saying the wrong thing. You're going to let God do the talking, okay? But we don't want to let accountability, as I talk about that, move over into judgment. That's not the role God had for us, is it? He didn't count on us being judges. But the first thing, the first reminder from Scripture is we will all be held accountable. Right? Every one of us. Now look at Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's a big moment, right? Matthew 12, 36 says, but I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Not a happy feeling coming here. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he must give an account. These passages share how we are accountable for our actions, our words, and even our very selves. And whether we offer accountability in this life, we will be held accountable one day. And we have all these other relationships in our lives where we don't owe accountability. It's because God, our creator, made us. There's that relationship with him, just like that bladesmith with the sword, God looks at us and expects us to live up to the design he gave. And that's important to note. There is no accountability without a commitment and a relationship. Our commitment to God comes from his creation. And that's the relationship. And therefore, we're going to be accountable. But with those, that accountability, we can see ways to improve and seek ways to learn. And our accountability is part of who we are as his creation. What's interesting and what's so special about this is by the grace of God, that same creator who designed us and made us 
he gives us an out. He gives us a gift of his son through his sacrifice. He offers himself up and pays our accounts. Jesus took on our account. So we'll all be held accountable, then Jesus takes it on for us. God's grace, Jesus' sacrifice, and our acceptance of that gift gives us an assurance on that day of accountability. When we're standing before God Almighty, our account is wiped clean. That's a good thing, right? Amen? So let's look at Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Jesus says these words to us. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Our answer for that moment when we stand before him is our connection to Christ. Biblical accountability is more significant than us just being creations of God. Biblical accountability points to our connection to Christ as believers. And this connection to Christ changes at its root our accountability relationship to God. For those living in Christ, accountability to God shouldn't be scary. We shouldn't be the one that looks and goes, talk about somebody else, talk about somebody else. Because this is good news, right? Our account is wiped clean, and that's life-giving. That's motivating and freeing. This is what Spence was talking about. You're talking about we're free. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Accountability isn't merely controlling behavior or enforcing consequences. It's about pursuing a deeper relationship with Christ. It's about seeking the things above and setting ourselves free. John 8, 32. We heard that just a minute ago. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, yes, we will be held accountable. No, we will not be subject to the consequences because we've been given grace by God who provided his son. And now we've got that grace, we've got this release. What are we supposed to do with it? Tell people about it, right? Shout it. It's an amazing gift. We are called to spread the news to the world. Mark 16, 15 says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The good news. We want to add to the body. We want to add and give more people the opportunity to have that salvation. And this is the heart component of accountability. This is where it changes. This is where we're freed up and, and pointed out what God's grace provided and that we're in communion with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We're his representatives on this earth. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And in, unfortunately, we can get confused on this. 
We start taking on the responsibility of saying, I'm, I'm gonna point out everything you do wrong. How does that work out? And that's not what I just heard us read. We are not to hold the world accountable. It's not our responsibility. You remember the old hymn, and I, I tried to get Spence to play it this morning. They will know we are Christians by our judgment, right? <laughs> what is it? Love? They'll know we're Christians by our love. Matthew 7, 1 through 3 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You see the imagery there? While our knowledge that our sin someday is going to be before God the Creator motivates us to confess it in the present, it's not my duty, it's not your duty, it's not any of our duty to point out someone else's sin. It's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to judge them. We bring the truth of this eternal relationship that Christ has offered us into the present moment because that moment before God is gonna be huge. And in all of that, we wanna point the attention away. Think about it. We're, we're intimidated by that when we should be thrilled by that because we know Jesus Christ is gonna be beside us saying, he's all good, she's all good. And what we tend to do is want to ignore the log and see the speck. This connection we have to other Christians it, is the need for truth in this relationship. It's, it's shared. And we can't live in close relationship or authentic community, which we talk about in this church, if we aren't revealing the truth about ourselves. Me to you and you to me. Ephesians 4.25 reminds us, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Our connection to Christ means we're organically connected to other Christians. We're part of the same body. And this is where biblical accountability really comes into relationships. Just as our relationship with God creator changes with Jesus our savior, our responsibility and duty to fellow believers is different. It's different. And therefore, we're not to hold the world accountable, but we are to help hold other believers accountable. And the key word there is help. We're supposed to offer that. We're not who they are to answer to. We're meant to be there for them as a reflection of Christ was there for us. Right? James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. This says accountability brings healing, not to just the one who's asking for it, but the one offering it. It heals both parties. And accountability and spending that time together as believers is important because it restores what's broken in ourselves and our relationship with others. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us we have this responsibility. This is where it points out in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, 
That's a relationship, right? Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you are also you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are meant as brothers and sisters to hold each other accountable on this earth for our words and actions. But with what? A gentle spirit. In the New Testament, we see relationships between believers were based on love. That's where they all came from. And Christians are to treat, treat one another and speak to one another with honesty. There are days I am a little too honest. Have people been too honest to you? That, you know, that's, that's the thing we have to be sensitive to. It's not a blunt honesty. It doesn't come in with that raw piece of steel and hammer someone. It's a gentle honesty that's designed to help and help build up rather than hinder. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So as I was thinking about this time together, I really was looking and saying, how do I offer accountability? And I, I saw a lot of scripture of the time Jesus walked on earth, and I looked to him to be the example of how we should offer accountability. And it's this hand in hand walking side by side. It's an attitude of grace and forgiveness and taking on of one, another burden, one another's burdens. And Christ showed us this on his time on earth. So I just wanna hit three key points here that I think change a little bit the way we've been taught and raised in church to be holding people accountable in this legalistic environment. And let's just think about it a little differently. First off, offer acceptance. The first response, reaction, or step any of us should take is an attitude of acceptance. And it's not finger pointing, it's not hurling accusations, it's a calm and measured, compassionate response to a situation. It's seeing someone who stumbled and instead of saying, well, you did it to yourself, it's helping them up graciously. If you look back at the verses we read from John 8, the scribes and the Pharisees bring forth this woman who was caught in adultery. And they're saying she should be stoned, right? And she probably was guilty. And the law did say that was the punishment. And what did Jesus do? He bent down and started writing on the ground. He said, let the one of you without sin throw the first stone. He didn't jump on board and begin saying to her, you did it. I, they're telling me you did it, therefore you did it. He didn't do that. He also didn't yell at the scribes and Pharisees, did he? He, he took a different approach. He took the, the law and the way it was approached historically and changed it. He didn't call out an accuser. He didn't deny her guilt and the consequences of the sin either. He just turned the issue to the accusers and said, trying to change your thinking, cast the stone if you're without sin. He put everybody in the same category. The accuser, 
He turned the issue to her accusers and he said, if you're without sin, throw the stone. And he didn't judge either one of them. He didn't attack either one of them. He didn't join the mob and he didn't fight on her behalf either. There's another example in Matthew 8 where a leper comes down from the mountain and comes before Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. This is a leper. And he said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Time after time, if you look in the Gospels, Jesus shows us where to accept all people. We're not to prejudge or post-judge. We're not to judge at all, right? It doesn't matter who they are and where they are in their walk. Just like Jesus in his interactions with people in his ministry, we shouldn't be pointing fingers and calling out accusations. We should offer acceptance. And then you look at it and say, God, how, how do you do this? Let's go, let's go back in the Bible. 1 Samuel 16, verse seven. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Let's look at and accept other people just as Jesus did. In Matthew, Jesus was sitting with the tax collectors and sinners and he explained, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In Luke, he called Zacchaeus. Familiar name, right? He called Zacchaeus a tax collector. Get down from the tree, let's go to your home. And he goes to his home and he dines with him. And it results in this tax collector's repentance and salvation. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, is what the scripture reminds us. Romans 15, seven. This is the model of acceptance. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All creation is God made and therefore beautiful. Whether broken, whether spoiled, whether distracted or confused, accept all because they, without God's grace, none of us would exist. And someone at some point accepted me, someone at some point accepted you. So let's remember that. Acceptance, secondly, offer encouragement. If you go back to John again, the scribes and the Pharisees hear this message from Jesus and they start leaving one by one. The oldest ones first. I don't know what that says about us old guys, but we are like, okay, yep, that was wrong. <laughs> and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. He stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And in this moment, he points out to her that she's not alone in her sinfulness, Right? He just equaled the playing field. And he said, this, and I, the thing I wanna make sure you know here, this doesn't say he's approving of her sin. He's just pointing out and encouraging her that there is a way forward. As we consider the word encourage, we, we had the opportunity to study. Courage is the core of that word, and it means an act of heart. Courage means an act of heart. 
And to encourage someone means that you're getting into their life. You're pouring into them this active heart. You're giving them strength in their heart. And it, it gives this visual, if you think about, encircle, encompass, it's all sides. It's bringing courage to every direction with this change, this potential before them. That's the hope I was talking about. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another, uh, build one another up just as you also are doing. To encourage a person causes them to stand upright, wrapped in strength and hope, fearlessness and confidence to do something different. Think about where that woman was. She was going to die. And he had her stand up, go. This is a reflection of the relationship for Christ who strengthens us, right? Encouragement means you're getting in very close. Acceptance means they've come into the room. Encouragement means we're sitting side by side. We're, there are no gaps here when I'm encouraging you or you're encouraging me. And the quiet action of that speaks to the goodness of God. Encouragement was and is an essential way of extending grace. And that grace expands the relationship. And that relationship goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It gives us an opportunity to help others with their account as well as our own. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we've accepted them, we've offered them encouragement and now we offer guidance. And that's where, again, I have to point out, we do not guide. We don't push other people. We don't direct them. We sometimes feel like we might be dragging them or they may be dragging us. But we offer guidance in this path to hope and peace. Jesus stood up and said to her in John 8, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Every parable, every story, every scripture reference, Jesus gives us guidance and instruction for a better way to live. It's our choice whether we accept that offer of guidance. In Mark 5, Jesus told a man who had been possessed by demons and then freed by Jesus, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. In Mark 10, Jesus heals, heals Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. He gives them guidance on where to go next. So we have this responsibility now to remind each other to be in tune with the consequences of our actions and our duties and our obligations, but there's this opportunity to go do something with it. Go serve, go make it better. There is hope. There is accountability with commitment and relationship. And we all have these blind spots where sometimes we need help. Pride, temptation can keep us from doing the right thing. 
And as I was thinking about it, I remember when I got my first Blackberry. And a lot of people were sitting here, I, I see the younger people, they're thinking, the fruit? <laughs> the Blackberry, do y'all remember it? Keypad, it was a phone, and you could do email. Can you imagine such a technical marvel? <laughs> the screen was this weird gray-green, do you remember that? It's about the A big. Um, and I was mesmerized by it. I was on it all the time. And people kept saying to me, you need to, you need to put that down. I was addicted. I loved it because I could email. And then you could watch the little thing spin as it was sending. It took forever. 3G, I don't even know if we had a G at that time. And I was traveling with a client and I'm on the Blackberry, you know, we're, in, we're actually in a van heading to the hotel where all of us are having this meeting. And the client says to me, she's a, a longtime customer and a good friend. She said, if you paid as much attention to your clients as you do that device, you might keep the clients longer. I put the device down at that point. I mean, that's, that's where somebody cares enough about us to say to us, there's a better way. Let me give you some guidance and wisdom. We had a relationship. She was my client. She had power and authority in our business relationship. But even a friend saying that to you, that's, that's what you need sometimes. Scripture makes it very clear that we are stronger together. Right? When we're together in this situation and we hold ourselves accountable and we offer to hold ourselves accountable to others, we strengthen our chance of success. Let's look at James 5. We're gonna read verses 16 and then 19 and 20. Verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then 1920 goes on to say, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Save his soul from death. Spends a few inches I wanna come back up. I wanna talk this, I'm gonna wrap up this morning talking about those times when we may have asked someone to hold us accountable and then we stumble and we wanna go hide, we wanna go blame it on somebody else or vice versa when someone asks us to hold them accountable and you trip up, you make mistakes, you revert back to bad habits. So, you know, Kevin, you've given us advice. I've accepted them. I've offered them encouragement. I've offered them guidance. And they still don't do it. They still mess up. Now I can judge. Right? Is that the way you want them to handle you? We don't want to turn that back to us. We want to turn and look at what Christ is an example. And think about his love and his mission here on earth. And think about the sharpening process. If I'm making an instrument and I'm gonna sharpen it, how many times do I have to pass that blade over the sharpening stone? One and done? No. 
two? No, it's on and on and on and you grind and grind and grind. And at times we'll sit and feel like we're just doing it over and over and we see nothing changing, nothing getting better. And it, it takes patience. It takes patience, it takes commitment and go back to that relationship. It takes mercy and grace. And who gave us the example of all of that? Jesus Christ. Look finally at Luke 17, three and four. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I was thinking about the best example of this is Peter. Peter failed a lot of pop quizzes with Jesus, didn't he? He did not always get the answer right. But Jesus' approach to transformation with Peter was based on love. He just kept pouring into Peter's life, giving him all that he didn't deserve. And wouldn't we all want the same thing? Such love that Jesus offers has a power to melt the heart. Think about that hardened piece of steel. Jesus' love has the power to melt our heart and make it into the instrument that God wants it to be. That's what's exciting. We wanna be an instrument specifically that can be used to further the kingdom. So again, the things I want you to take away today, things we offer, not actions we take. We do not decide who is and isn't accepted. We offer acceptance. We offer encouragement and grace just as it was given to us. And lastly, we don't direct their steps. We do not drive others to salvation or a better life through accusations, judgment, and pressure. We offer the same gift of guidance that Christ offered to us. Let's all stand together. Dear God, we just thank you for this example of Christ. We just thank you for this time, Lord, to be together in right relationship as brothers and sisters. Hear the sound of our worship, Lord, lifted up to you.